When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. So Liverpool fell just short. They couldn't make it number seven, but the spotlight has to fall on the disgusting manner in which the Champions League final was organised by UEFA and the French authorities. There has to be accountability. We'll talk about that on the pod. That plus an amazing homecoming and Sadio's future as well. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersalt. Joining me after that Champions League final in Paris, James Pearce and Simon Hughes, who were both at the uh, Stade de France. The day started in the French capital with such hope and positivity. Finished... James, with the most horrific scenes. Yeah, yeah. What a what a crazy few days to reflect on. Because you're, you're right, Steve. You know, I was you're in that fan park on on Saturday afternoon, and I was looking around, thinking, you know, these really are the days of our lives. You know, fifty odd thousand Liverpool fans, not a hint of of issues or trouble, just people enjoying themselves. You know, Jamie Webster on stage, and you just think, you know, what a, a magical end to what has been a, a special season, and then. Yeah, fast forward literally two or three hours, and and suddenly you see. I was unfortunately in the in the thick of it outside the Stade de France. You know the horrendous bottlenecking. You know people panicking and people fainting and being tear gassed by police and just the absolute shambles that UEFA and the French authorities oversaw. And I was getting messages from friends of mine who have followed Liverpool home and away everywhere across the continent for 25, 30 years saying they'd never been so scared in their entire lives. And before a ball had been kicked, they said, you know, the whole trip has been ruined. I just couldn't care less about the game now. That is that is how horrific that experience had been. And um, yeah, it's just just demoralising, I think. You know, demoral- it was demoralising at the time and then even more so now with the passage of time and seeing the doubling down of the authorities and the things that have been- continued to be said, which you know, that the evidence is there staring you in the face. It's there all over social media. We, and I'm sure Simon will have his own tales to tell shortly. You know, I saw it myself, you know, the just the chaos, absolute chaos outside that stadium. You know, people queuing for two and a half hours and then UEFA having the temerity to say it was fans arriving late and then it was fake tickets. And it's just a nonsense. And um, yeah, just incredibly sad that what should have been the kind of occasion that people cherish the memories forever. Most people just relieve to get home in one piece and, and don't want to ever go near Paris again. Simon, you've been listening to some first-hand accounts and people can read those on The Athletic now. And it's just absolutely amazing that one of the world's greatest sporting occasions could descend into such chaos. We're hearing women, children, tear-gassed, pepper-sprayed. Yeah, I mean, you saw some of this first-hand, Si. Yeah, I was in the ground primarily as a supporter. I was working the weekend. I did have a, 
a piece that I was due to file yesterday, but obviously I ended up working intensively trying to speak to as many people as, a, as possible, both fans and, you know, other people around the game to try and get to the bottom of what had happened. I mean, obviously I was, I'll just tell you what, what, what I experienced and what I saw is probably the best way forward, but I, I arrived at the ground just short of three hours before the game. The Liverpool fans had to disembark the train at a different train station to, to the Madrid fans. So the Liverpool fans were coming from the south and uh, the Madrid were coming from the north where their fan park was, which was a much closer. So a lot, quite a few people in the aftermath have said, well, you know, all the Madrid fans got in easy. Well, that was because they didn't have to face the ticket check in the location that Liverpool fans had to. And for me, the location and geography is is key and central to this story, really, and why everything unraveled the way it did. So from, from the walk from the train station, uh, it was... was Meant to be 17 minutes. That was uh, the sign from the train station. I got there two and a half hours later. So read into that what you will. There was there was actually one police cordon before the first ticket check, which which held up a bit of a crowd. A couple of thousand people were ended up waiting at a police cordon. And then you just let everybody go at the same time. You went down a road, through an underpass, underneath a dual carriageway, and to the other side of the road... And at the other side of the road, there was a slip road beside the dual carriageway. And beside the slip road, there was a narrow footpath. That's the only way I can describe it. Very narrow footpath. And at the bottom of that narrow footpath, there were five or six big police vans. And the police had got out of those vans and were, were um, flanking the footpath on the side road. So the vans were getting in the way of fans queuing up. Straight away, I was like, this does not look good. Why, why are there so many police vans here? I, I couldn't get my head around it and as we we inched towards the checkpoint and I say inched because it took as I said it took about the best part of an hour and a half two hours it just didn't make any sense one of my friends speaks French and he said to the policeman you know why why are the vans there you should really move them because they're getting in a lot of people's way and it's disrupting the flow to the to the checkpoint um he he just wasn't interested in, in communicating anything as we got closer to the checkpoint there was a lot of local people by the checkpoint and they were they were halfway up the ramp on the walls of the ramp looking in to the into the crowd there was a lot of the locals in the queue and i'll say it was a queue because people were sitting standing there patiently the sun was shining you could deal with it but you could feel that people were getting a bit nervous because it was taking so long to get through obviously there was a lot of women and children they were becoming quite tired the crowd was pressure was building up more because the game was getting closer and closer and closer and then at some point they decided they just gave up totally on the checkpoint, just totally gave up. It seemed like there'd been an order because there wasn't any altercations in the checkpoint area. And the checkpoint area was so narrow, so everybody reached a bottleneck. And this was where the build-up of pressure was. But it didn't seem to me that there were problems at the checkpoint at that time when that call was made. So they let everybody through, including a lot of the locals who then appeared to be in gangs. You saw them sort of congregate quickly and go through the checkpoints, which were a narrow kettling system with maybe four, I think it was five or six funnels, up a ramp, and then you're into the outer concourse of the ground. You've still got to go through the gates. So at that point, they were into the outer court concourse of the ground, close to the gates, closer to the gates than they, they should have been, a lot of the local people. Liverpool fans were, you know, were queuing patiently again. I mean, critics of Liverpool fans, I mean, Liverpool people generally will, will point to a photograph where there's one Liverpool fan jumping over a fence. I can say, hand on heart... I went right round the ground to check what was going on because I knew there was something not right about this. 
And obviously, you know, from a works point of view, that my my instincts kicked kicked in, and I wanted to check what exactly what was going on. Ninety nine point nine percent of fans were just waiting, hoping to get in because they they'd already been through a two hour wait. They didn't want to be through another one. Meanwhile, there were pitch battles going on between gangs and gendarmery. The Liverpool fans were like caught in the middle of all this as it was going on. A lot of the the, the gangs were getting into the the queues, pushing the, to the front of the queues, stealing tickets off Liverpool fans. I had reports of people having their their mobile tickets cloned by by some of these people. And when they started pushing into the the gates, that's when the problems really started because it got closer to the the stewards, and that's when the tear gas came out. So there were kids, kids, women. Old people, disabled people just caught up in the middle of that. I got in at gate S, so I was away from where a lot of the problems were. Gate S was actually okay. But when I'd found out that the situation was really escalating and the game was delayed, I went back out of the gate and went towards gate Y and X to see what was going on. And again, it was the Liverpool fans were really calm, really patient. They were trying to find information as to what was going on, why the game had been delayed. Inside the grounds, the, the, um, as James said, the announcement on the public address system suggested that the laughable claim that it was because of late fans. It's like they couldn't have been there any earlier. I laughed initially, but then I became very angry very quickly. But then I also realised, you know, that claim is going to be become quite disputed quite easily because of the evidence. I'd taken, I deliberately took pictures of the crowds, everybody hanging around very calmly, very in good time. We've got times of those pictures that they were taking that proves that there were a lot of people there. So at Gate Y and X, I could see the queues. I could see a lot of non-Liverpool fans, I'll just put it that way, trying to vault the, the, the outer perimeter fences and uh, gendarmerie giving chase, causing chaos. It was a scene of chaos around me. And I think we should give loads of credit to the Liverpool fans who waited patiently. And actually, many might have felt they were being crushed. Yes. Many behaved, might have felt... Behaved. Yeah, they were impeccable, weren't they? As I said, Steve, any football match at any weekend, there's always going to be one or two problems amongst any fa- fan base. Not problems, but one or two people who, who don't don't behave. But this wasn't the, that wasn't the cause of what happened here. <laughs> by by no for all the reasons I've just described, uh, the fans I think behaved impeccably, despite a lot of provocation as well. You know, they they were under attack. A lot of people they were getting things, the possessions stolen from them, and they behaved impeccably. They tried to get, in some cases, I saw people pleading with police officers to help, to say we're being attacked here. Nothing. They didn't want to. They didn't want to help the fans because they knew that, that well, maybe they knew that, that that would escalate the situation. Put it this way: if Liverpool fans had reacted in the way that some people are claiming online, there would have been. I'm absolutely convinced there'd have been fatalities on Saturday. I don't think that's an exaggeration. But nobody did react. They, they, I think they were too wrapped up. People were too wrapped up in fear, to be honest. It was it was a really horrible situation outside the ground. So I'll just finish on this. I, sp- I spoke to a UEFA delegate who was standing there in a silver suit. And to be fair to him, he was actually uh, interacting. He, wa- he was communicating. There were people who were angry with what was going on, distressed. I just said to him, look, I said, first of all, so why did you claim that the game was delayed because of late comers? I said, that's just not true. You're going to look very embarrassed very soon. And he said, oh, we, we said we only did that because we didn't want to alarm people inside the ground um, because we thought that was the most peaceful way, basically. Of, I said, but you, you know, you not, do you realise what that, that means and the consequences for the city that I come from? 
because it's it's gonna it's blaming Liverpool fans straight away. And he said, oh, he said he said Liverpool fans aren't to blame. He said the problems are being started by local people outside the ground trying to get in. So that that was a a UEFA delegate who was on site. He wouldn't give me his name, unfortunately, but um, he he was concerned. I mean, I could see the concern on his face by what was going on. I made it back into the ground for kickoff just on kickoff, where there were some dreadful rumours flying around. And I'll be honest, I mean, the game got to the minute 40, and I, I hadn't taken anything in. No, I, I, no. I was just thinking, I was just hoping, hoping that everybody, by some miracle, was safe. Like most Liverpool fans, I think absolutely stunned by it all. I, I actually had a, a UEFA ballot ticket, and I walked in straight away. I was talking to James about this. So pre the match, three hours before, didn't have a problem, got off the train, presumably at a different stop, walked straight up, one ticket check, and was in. But you did have similar problems to Simon. Just how scared were you, and how did you hear about the narrative that UEFA had issued unfold? Yeah, very similar to Simon, really. I got there three hours before, and um, the initial walk to the stadium was was fine. It was you know, a glorious evening. It was, you know, people were, were sat out in the bars that were, that were between there and the stadium but it, the problems for me started there's an underpass that kind of went under which was essentially I think a motorway pretty much near the stadium and that was they were holding fans back there and that was dangerous and people were getting very very uncomfortable there and then as Simon described that kind of that really narrow under you know, the other side of that that was where the real bottleneck started where the police vans had made what was reasonably narrow anyway, even more narrow. And they were desperately trying to stop people from climbing onto the road. But in the end, they had to just give up because it was it was so grim that the people just needed to climb over barriers into that road just to escape and have some some space. And it was, you know, it was just completely unclear. It was just chaos in terms of no one knew what was happening. Being held there for so long. Um, and I was trying to get round to the other side of the stadium to get my accreditation which was like the the kind of Madrid side of the stadium and kept trying to ask stewards and police, you know, how I could possibly get round there. You know, they just didn't know or really aggressive shoving people away. And yeah, and I, and I, and I you know, I saw numerous gangs of local kids having running battles with police, trying to jump over, scaling the outer perimeter, trying to get in. I didn't see a single person wearing a Liverpool shirt or a scarf or anything trying to do that it was it was gangs of kids I spoke to Liverpool fans who've been you know had had backpacks slashed with knives by there was there was certainly local gangs kind of in those bottleneck queues seeing it as a fantastic opportunity to to pickpocket and rob people it was just hard to believe that it could be that disorganized and that chaotic and when and, you know, let's not forget, there were people there, and I spoke to them, who'd paid 500 quid face value off UEFA for a ticket for what's supposed to be, you know, one of the world's premier sporting events. And and you just get treated like an animal. It's just hard to believe in this this day and age. And, you know, and then to hear today, just before we started recording, you know, the French interior minister saying now that 70% of tickets coming into the Stade de France were, were believed to be fake. And it's just, it's just not... That's, I mean, just do the maths. I mean, for a start, the fan, yes, of course, hell of a lot of Liverpool fans went without tickets. They went to enjoy the occasion. That's why the fan park was full, you know, for the, for the game that evening. You know, the fan park, if, if that is the case and there were so many ticketless Liverpool fans trying to get in, I think the fan park would have been empty, not full to capacity. So it's just, it's just lie after lie after lie. Just horrific that this is what people had to contend with. 
that UEFA claim about a fake ticket was immediately rejected by a lot of fans, but not least the fans, also by the players. Andy Robertson came out and spoke afterwards and said he'd given a ticket to a mate which was rejected. Let's hear from him now. Obviously, my tickets were through the club and somehow somebody told one of my mates that um, he's got a fake ticket, which I can assure definitely wasn't because it was, you know, obviously through me. So then obviously the French police decided to throw tear gas on, on um, fans and families and things like that. So, like, it's it's not been well organised. You know, you, you have to have some sympathy because obviously it's been kind of thrown on Paris kind of last minute with all that's went on and there's, there's all that kind of went on in Russia and stuff and they had to change the change the venue. But, you know, as a UEFA competition, as the biggest game in world football, it should be, um, be organised a lot better and delays like that shouldn't be happening and um, definitely the force that was used probably tonight by certain authorities shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be happening either. Si, I know you wanted to pick up on something there. Yeah, that claim about 70,000 fake tickets, as James says, is a total and utter lie. It's impossible they'd have that information based on the absolute fact that two hours before the game, many stewards at different check uh, at different gates and different checkpoints completely stopped looking at tickets. So how do they know? There's so much evidence of this. So many people have experienced this. Uh, I didn't have my... My ticket checked at the first checkpoint. I did later, but there were lots of people who went through the first checkpoint two hours before the game without having the tickets checked. The same at different gates. People were actually encouraged by stewards at certain points to bunk in because they'd lost control of what was going on. Fans have told me that the scanners looked to be out of date and they weren't working on people who had phone tickets. Uh, so again, that brings into question, you know, was, was the technology... At the stadium, right? I would also ask questions of the stewarding in terms of their experience. I have sim- I've got sympathy with the stewards themselves because they're on low pay money, many of them young, who possibly haven't dealt with a situation like this before where there's lots of people at a, at a big event. They, they seem very inexperienced and it needed more command amongst the stewards they never at none of the gates that I saw there didn't seem to be like a, a, a chief steward in charge of any of those gates I didn't see anybody taking any responsibility or leadership at those gates so it felt like there was no command at the gates the communication between the police and the stewards was next to nothing particularly at the first checkpoint where the police just seemed more concerned about ensuring that fans who were being kettled through a very narrow space didn't get onto the the adjoining slip road, which wasn't being used anyway. I saw journalists from Spain who were asking, begging the guy, can we get out so we can get to our accreditation centre? Two women. And they said, no, you've got to wait in this this queue. It's a, a desperate, desperate lie. Another lie. I mean, they can't even get the story straight. I mean, I've, I've just said that. It's like, at the moment, UEFA, uh, the police, just don't seem to be able to get this story straight. That's because they know that they failed, basically. Yeah, it's just, it's an absolute disgrace. I mean, in the French capital yesterday, because I was there for an extra day and on the plane home today, the conversation amongst most Liverpool fans was, I'd never bring a family member to an occasion like this again, James. The, the stains and the scars of something like this will last for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Even about an hour ago, I had a, a message off a, a friend of mine who, I think that he said that was his, his fifth European Cup final with, with Liverpool. And he said, oh, I won't be going to another one. He said, you know, it's that's I'm done with European aways. Can't do it. He said, you know, it, it was 
what people had to go through at the weekend, it was just just on another level. You know, it's, you know that fantastic piece that Simon's put together today. You know, you've got you're talking about like people who took their eight nine year old kids, kids who should have been you know meeting up with friends this week and telling them about this unbelievable experience they had at you know one of this great sporting event. Yet kids are absolutely petrified. You know, crying their eyes out. You know, in pain because of the the tear gas that's still stinging their eyes and going to the doctors today. And it's, yeah, it's just hard to believe. And you know, I was in the mix zone area where you wait for players on late on Saturday night. I didn't leave, leave the stadium till it must have been gone two o'clock in the morning, French time. And again, getting messages from people saying, do not walk to the Metro. You know, people are getting stabbed and attacked by gangs, said, you know, when you actually needed the French police at that time, French police were just stood back People were telling me they just stood back and watched as gangs robbed people of their phones, their wallets, attacked people indiscriminately. When you're there, you know, stood at the top of a ramp thinking, is it is it even safe to think about trying to get a taxi hours and hours after the game has finished? It's that is just on a whole on a whole different level, isn't it? And um, yeah, and I think we should say as well, you know, Merseyside police, who obviously send a delegation away with Liverpool on every single European trip, I think let's not overlook, you know, what they've said in terms of they've actually praised the behaviour of Liverpool fans, saying, you know, that the vast, vast majority was absolutely exemplary. And without that, we would I've got no doubt we would be talking about, you know, a, a catastrophe. Because because they were let down so badly by the authorities, let down so badly by UEFA, you know, essentially Liverpool fans looked out for each other and that was what thank God got them home safely in the end. But um, yeah, I'm not surprised that people have said to me, you know, not only will they never travel away in Europe with Liverpool again, they never want to go back to Paris. That's that's how scarred they are by this, you know, horrendous experience. Yeah, just, just picking up on what James said there about the after the game, I don't think that's been given anywhere near enough coverage anywhere else, to be honest. I mean, that, that's why I wrote about it this morning. Um, there, there was no provision for safety whatsoever, the safe passage of fans away from the ground. Now, you might think that that is pretty standard for a football ground, you know, sort of getting out of uh, certain grounds in certain cities um, across the world is, a, is not always sort of an easy thing to do and you are largely left to your own devices. But this is a Champions League final being held in a, in a big city in an area which is a, has well-documented problems where there's been problems before the game and Liverpool supporters and Real Madrid supporters as well because they they were attacked were left were left to try and figure their own way out. I mean, some of the things that I've been told and witnessed myself are just horrific. Really, I mean, I left the ground as as quickly as I could after the final whistle. I was I was itching to go, but I didn't want to be the first one out to be honest because uh, I was concerned. Well, I was I was alone. I was meeting my friends back in the centre of Paris. And um, even getting out of the, the gate was a problem because they crush they they closed the exit gates, which meant, uh, when I say they, uh, the, between the stewards and the police, they closed the exit gates presumably because they didn't want any more gangs jumping it into the ground or got making it e- you know having easy access to the ground. So we had to actually exit through an en- a small entry gate, which in itself caused a crush. It was it was really dangerous. I was I was concerned. In a way, that delay helped me helped me a little bit because I was able to get um, I was able to sort of get in with a crowd of people as I was going back to the station, back through the dark underpasses, which I came through before. You know, I, I sort of jogged with my hands in my pockets as quickly as possible because as I was walk as I was going, I could see 
groups of lads running past, taking whatever they could off people. Uh, just right outside the ground, I witnessed a guy who had, had clearly been attacked. Uh, he was on the floor. There was a, a woman who I don't think he was with speaking to three men in French. <laughs> they turned around and they suddenly started taking stuff out of his pockets. I was saying to the police, you've got to intervene here. The guy's not well. They just didn't do anything. It was it was awful. And then um, further back towards the metro station, there were people, um, you know, just being, you know, any anybody who'd strayed from the crowd was just getting picked off by the people who were waiting for them, basically. I mean, I, I was able to get to the station in one piece. I, I was okay. I'm glad that it didn't delay that journey because I know 10, 15 minutes behind me, as the crowd sort of got a little bit bigger and people strayed from the crowd, the, the problems became greater. I know going to other stations, back towards the centre of Saint-Denis, um, Port de Paris, the, the, there were major, major problems there. Somebody who I spoke to who went in that direction described it as a scene from the page. Like it was, it was horrifying. They were, and, and they were in, acting indiscriminately, attacking people in families, you know, men with, with their wives and their children being attacked, stolen from, slashed. It just didn't matter who you were with or how old you were. Meanwhile, the police just stood by and let it all happen. It's a story that's got to be told. Simon's uh, piece today has to be read by you, so check it out on The Athletic, the Champions League final horror. It was starting to crush. We were shaking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lovely touch by Salah. Still going Salah! Courtois again! Fantastic save! And the celebrations and the congratulations from his teammates tell you just how important that is. It's quite hard to go from all this to football, but... Let's just reflect on the final. Obviously, I, I, I didn't see any of this pre-match, but I, what I was aware of when the game had started was that the mood was very far from one you'd expect from Liverpool fans. And it obviously, from what's transpired, you can understand why afterwards. Um, it definitely affected the atmosphere inside the stadium, James. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it was a real, real strange feel to it. You know, the atmosphere kind of chimed with some of the messages I was getting from fans inside the stadium, which was the night's ruined regardless. That it was almost like, well, you know, it, it, after what we've been through outside, it, it, it almost felt, you know, immaterial what, what followed, which is obviously so, so wrong. And it did, it did have that feel to it, you know, the, the atmosphere. I think you could sense that people were so scarred by what they'd, what they'd had to, to, to deal with. And then, yeah, I guess, you know, the game... The game itself, I mean, it was it was a funny one to make sense of because Liverpool weren't 
poor, were they? They weren't, they were the better team for long periods. They certainly created the greater chances, but, you know, they, they ultimately paid the price for, you know, obviously you have to give Thibaut Courtois a lot of credit for the saves he pulled off, you know, in particular, you know, the one, the one onto the post in the first half for Mane, the one in the second half from Salah was exceptional. But yeah, I think, when, you know, when I look back on it and when I wrote about it in the early hours of Sunday morning, which again was, it did feel, felt difficult to concentrate on the football because of everything else. But there was a lot of regrets I felt from Liverpool's perspective because I think they did look jaded. They looked like a team that was playing their 63rd game of the season, despite all that, you know, the the promising positions they got into. I thought, I think they just lacked that spark. You know, they, yes, they created some chances, but not not a glut of them. And, you know, and they, they conceded what was, a, you know, a poor goal to... And then, you know, I think they, it all got very fraught and desperate in that search for an equaliser, and they could easily have conceded again on the on the counter attack. So, yeah, a sad a sad end to what's been an incredible season. When you think, you know, in the space of six days, losing the, the prem, you know, missing out on the Premier League title by the narrowest of margins, and then being edged out by Real Madrid in the Champions League final, you know, it hurt everyone involved and. Um, just a shame that they couldn't raise it, I felt, just for that one last big effort. I, I thought probably the last month of the season, if you're honest, when you look back, Liverpool have had to scrap and fight and grind out wins. I think they probably haven't really played well since the first leg win over Villarreal in the semi. And I think all of that caught up with them in the end. Let's get a, a thought or two from Jurgen Klopp on how his team plays and perhaps why Liverpool didn't come out winners at the Stade de France. So after the game, when I saw the stats, it was 50-50 possession. So we had a lot more shots, a lot more shots on target. But the most decisive stat is absolutely on Madrid's side. They scored a goal, we didn't. That's the easiest explanation in the world of football. And um, hard, harsh to get anyway, but respect that, of course. When the goalkeeper is man of the match, then something is wrong going wrong for the other team so we had I think three really big chances where Courtois made incredible saves uh, would have loved to have a few more of this, of this caliber in the last third uh, we could have done better pass here whatever the crosses we, we you know, especially to the end of the game towards Courtois they make not too much sense had the best phase probably after they scored the one nil. Then immediately, then we played exactly in the spaces we had to play. We had the first half good moments. So when we found Sadio next left and right from Casimiro, center half stayed, yes, center half stayed deep. Sad could turn. We arrived in a box that was that was good. Wanted to play a bit more in their formation in the second half than around their formation. The problem is when you play against Real Madrid and they defend that deep, the counter-attacking threat there is, is immense and you cannot ignore that. I saw us doing really a lot of good things, to be honest, but it was not enough and we, we take that. I mean, I suppose, side from your perspective, you said it before, that the football might just seem a little bit irrelevant now, <laughs> reflecting on things. You didn't remember anything from the first half. And I think for a lot of people that they won't come away from this with any memories of the game. No, I'll be honest, I can't really add anything to what James has said there. I mean, um, when I took to my seat, I was sitting next to a friend who, who was getting quite a bit of information. A lot of it was rumour. Some really worrying stuff, you know, stuff that was worse than the actual than what had actually happened. I won't go into that now, but you know, 
there was also you know what I what I just seen. I, I just thought I just hope, you know, nothing as no one has has died. That that was that was all I was thinking through the game. So without being too melodramatic, I mean when Sadio Mane hit the post, I, I was still sitting down. I was just thinking, God, you know, I just hope everybody gets home safely. To be honest, but. I mean, I'd agree with what James said. I just think Liverpool never put, you know, were able to put the put the foot on it, really. Um, we obviously heard those quotes from Andy Robertson before who had um, friends who were trying to get in. I mean, you wonder how that must have affected him and it can't be easy, an emotionally charged team like Liverpool when, you know, there are problems outside the ground. The players are quite conscious and I'd say socially conscious as well. So kind of be an easy situation to play that match in as well. I don't think the circumstances will have helped Liverpool. I've got no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, they just looked a bit tired. I thought they started the game well. I thought the first 20 minutes, Diaz looked like he was going to do something. I thought Salah started the game well as well, but then faded. Like a lot of the players, it was just... Um, yeah, I mean, Real Madrid weren't brilliant, I suppose, which is what the main frustration is because I think they're not the best Real Madrid to win a Champions League final. No. Well, the the keeper was outstanding, wasn't he? Look, the, the Liverpool players admitted on the uh, the Open Tour bus parade they were perhaps a little bit concerned about, you know, how it would feel going around the city a day after. But do you know what? The turnout was just quite phenomenal I think looking at those pictures I've gutted I never got there myself but it it just felt like something more special the day after James yeah 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 it did and um yeah I I must admit when I was traveling back from Paris on Sunday morning I was thinking you know I wonder what it'll be like because you you do think you know everyone was on such a downer after Saturday night you know because of what had happened off the pitch as well as what had happened on it but you know what an incredible show of unity and strength and, and appreciation for what this group of players and the manager is, has given everyone this season. I, you know, there isn't another club in the world that that gets half a million people on the streets less than 24 hours after you've lost a Champions League final. You know, you're always going to get sniping, aren't you, from some rival supporters. And, you know, I've seen comments on social media, people saying, you know, what exactly are they celebrating? You know, they've, they've, they've missed out on the two biggest prizes. But, you know, th- when you actually check the bios, these are fans of clubs who is beyond their wildest dreams doing a domestic cup double. And a fan of another club doesn't get to decide when Liverpool fans can and can't celebrate. And um, I thought that was the perfect pick-me-up for Klopp, his staff and the players, you know, so soon after the heartache of, of, of losing that final. And what a lift that will give them now going off for what is a richly deserved, you know, month's break. They don't report back to Kirby now to the the 4th of July. And they should be immensely proud because, you know, to reach three major finals, the first English team to do that with the League Cup, the FA Cup, the Champions League, to win win two cups, to to get 92 points, to to just miss out on the league, to, to City, and then, you know, such fine margins again in the Champions League final. You know, 63 games, four defeats, you know, 147 goals scored. You know, it has, it has been a sensational ride, and we know that Klopp. You know, he talks about for him, it's as much about the journey as about what's there at the final destination. And I think, I think um, those you know iconic scenes on the Strand in Liverpool on Sunday, F, you know, evening showed the world that um, yeah, every single Liverpool fan has has thoroughly loved the journey 
over the course of the last nine months and it, it whets your appetite for what's to come as well because you know Klopp you know what did he say on Saturday night he said um you know book the hotel for for Istanbul you know we'll be back <laughs> the um you know it's and that's that will be the attitude, isn't it? And I, th- and I think for a lot of fans, there'll be the belief that they can back that up on the field as well, because you don't, you know, yes, there's some big decisions ahead this summer, which I'm sure we'll come on to in terms of the, the transfers side of things. But you know, that this group of players under this manager, they aren't going anywhere. Liverpool will, you know, will be will be there again next season. You know, and if they don't win the biggest prizes, they'll certainly be a big big part of the conversation because. Um, what Klopp has built at Liverpool is 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 there to last, and you know it's that that's why there's a despite the heartache of the last week, there's so much optimism around the place. Okay, let's finish the red agenda with um, with a thought on Sadio Mane. We're hearing that his six year stay at Liverpool is perhaps coming to an end. That's according to reports out. In the last uh, 24, 48 hours, maybe wants a new challenge. Bayern Munich, the favourites. Can we substantiate any of this at the moment, James? Yes. Um, yeah, my information is that Sandy Omani does indeed intend to pursue a new challenge this summer after after six years at Anfield. He hasn't you know, officially articulated to that to Liverpool as things stand. And Liverpool haven't received any official bids, but... The news certainly wasn't a big surprise to to a lot of his teammates and to and to people behind the scenes. I think you know it's it's um, there's been obviously talk of Bayern Munich's interest for a while now, and we know that obviously there's some tough decisions that have to be made across the board with you know so many players reaching their final year this summer. Of course, you know as well as Mane, you've got Salah, you've got Firmino, you've got Cater, you've got Oxlade Chamberlain. So so clearly you know with those players. You know, you you either have to renew them this summer, sell them, or accept the fact you're going to lose them for nothing in in 2023. And um, and I think obviously with the dynamic, with the front three, with you know the well, the kind of long established front three of Salamane Firmino was, you know, it has to be a gradual process. I think it was, you know, as we've talked about many times, Liverpool were never going to be able, would never be in a position, I think, to renew all three because then. You know, you're talking about committing vast sums of money to three players who are, you know, into their mid thirties, and you, by the same token, you can't be trying to replace all three around the same time because of the the implications of of trying to do that. So, um, yeah, Marnie has decided he he wants a new challenge. Whether whether he gets his wish, I think will will depend ultimately on what kind of bids are forthcoming. Because you know, the reports in Germany are that Bayern. Think they can get him for twenty-five million pounds, which is you know, thirty million euros. That now I'm told there's absolutely zero chance Liverpool would sell him for that. You know, they Liverpool's attitude is at that level. You know, they'd be better off actually keeping him for one more year and then losing him for for nothing in 2023. Um, I think I think it will be nearer fifty million euros, which I think is about forty-three million pound that that Liverpool will be looking for. Um, and if they get that. And they can pinpoint a suitable replacement who's gettable. Then, then uh, you know everything then points to to Sadio Mane's Liverpool career coming coming to an end. And you know he will leave as a legend for everything he's given to the club because you know he was the first transformative signing of the Klopp era. With um, you know the impact he made after that arrival from Southampton, he was the driving force between between Liverpool getting back in the Champions League and then. 
you know the the knock on effect was that of that was having the money and the pulling power to bring in Salah and then you know Van Dijk and Allison and the others that followed. So he's he's played a huge part, Sadio Mane, and some big big boots to fill. I think obviously you look at the impact of Jota and Diaz. It probably a reminder that that life does go on. That football teams always have to evolve, and and there's other great players out there, but. You know Liverpool's recruitment model is going to have to come up with another gem if um, if Liverpool aren't going to miss Sadio Mane going forward because I mean you only have to look at his numbers in the second half of the season you know 13 goals since he came back from Afcon you know I think if Liverpool had won the Champions League final we'd be talking about him being right in the box seat for the Ballon d'Or you know he's he's been magnificent in the second half of the campaign so um, yeah it's. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that one goes from here. Absolutely. One of Liverpool's key players, particularly in the second half of this season, and he will be sorely missed. We'll talk about it more in future Red Agenda podcasts. My thanks to uh, James Pearce. Check his piece out online for more detail on that Sadio Mane story. And, of course, uh, Simon's excellent piece on the troubles that surrounded Liverpool's Champions League final against Real Madrid. And eyewitness first-hand accounts from people who got caught up in it outside the Stade de France. Uh, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all the articles on Liverpool, everything on the site. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod, special price right now, pound a month for six months. That's a pound a month for six months. And it's all at theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Thanks to James and to Simon. And thank you for listening to The Red Agenda. Red Agenda.